Javi Coffee, your daily grind reimagined. Instantly craft any style of coffee in seconds. Get 20% off your next purchase if you use code AMBER48138. Again, the code is AMBER48138. Go to javicoffee.com. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Happy motherfucking Monday. Happy Monday. Happy <laughs> Monday, everyone. And we did it. Welcome to another episode of Politics But Make It Fashion. Come interview with us. Today, we have a really, really great guest, and I'm super excited. Um, she is a friend of mine. Her name is Glennis Johns. So welcome, Glennis. Let me tell you a little bit about her. She is the CEO and founder of the Black Scranton Project, um, which is a local nonprofit and heritage initiative dedicated to archiving and celebrating African-American history and culture in the city of Scranton and the area surrounding. She is a mover and shaker, not just here in Scranton, but all over the state and honestly all over the country. She graduated from Scranton High School and St. John's University with her bachelor's and master's in sociology. Her work has been recognized in many ways, including serving on Governor Tom's Wolf Commission on African-American Studies. She's been honored by U.S. Senator Bob Casey as a leader, creating change in Pennsylvania. And she has been featured as a TEDx grand speaker on why local Black history matters. And most recently, she has been in the mini documentary produced by Focus Journalism on the institutions preserving Black history in Northeast Pennsylvania. Um, that documentary won an Emmy, a regional Emmy award. So Just congratulations. Saying. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> for real. Glennis is currently shepherding the Black Scranton Project Center for Arts and Culture located in North Scranton. And it's soon, I think that it kind of already is becoming a centerfold of local BIPOC arts, culture, and entertainment. So welcome, Glennis. Thank you. Welcome, so Glennis. <laughs> Hello, ladies. Okay, hey. Glennis, that is quite the bio. <laughs> like, what am I doing with my life? Definitely not enough. Okay, oh because that was incredible and inspiring. Just the bio. Thank you so much. I'm so, so glad that you're here. I'm um, excited to be here. Yes. So I met Glennis probably when, close to when I kind of first came up here. And I like wanted to be her when I got older. So I think (laughs) she's such an inspiration. And and one of the things that I love about her is that you just go do it. Like you don't wait for anybody to be there with you. You don't wait for like a gym partner. You know, you are, okay, I see this issue or I see this thing that I kind of want to conquer and I'm just going to go after it. And I really, really love and appreciate that because it it really is such an inspiration to me and um, keeps me pushing forward. So thank you. Well, thank you, Amber. That is so kind and so nice. And I'm like over here cheesing so hard. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Chelsea, you want to start us off here? Yeah, um, I would be honored to. Glennis, I have so many questions, but because um, I'm not sure if you know this, but Amber and I are, besides being podcast hosts together, we're also friends. So I've heard so much about you way before 
uh, the pot, we, we were able to get you to be a guest on the podcast. And, um, like I said, you are truly an inspiration. So one of the, we have a couple of different questions we want to ask mm-hmm. you tonight. Some are like really fun and goofy and some are kind of serious, but just leading into all of this to get to know you a little bit and have our listeners get to know you. I wanted to know, are you originally from Scranton or where are you originally from? I was born and raised here in the city of Scranton. So, you know, local Scrantonian, black Scrantonian through and through. Yes. (laughs) So then that kind of brings me into my next question is, you obviously started this incredible initiative, this incredible nonprofit. And I'm curious, what made you come up with this idea to start this incredible nonprofit? So when I was working on my master's at St. John's 2015, um, in sociology, we were working on like long-term research and thinking about any projects you would do in the long term. And it was brought up in my, in our department that no one has completed a graduate thesis in like 10 years at that point. It was like 2015, 2016. And me being an overachiever, I wanted to accolade. Right. I wanted to live <laughs> on in the department. So I'm like, challenge accepted. Let's do it. It's an extra part of your degree. Like some, some departments and some programs, like you can either do a thesis or just do a regular program. This was additional. So I wanted to tackle that challenge and I also have writing anxiety. So I figured writing a lot of pages might help me overcome that. Spoiler alert, it did not, but it was definitely (laughs) (laughs) I learned from. So long story short, I started to um, think about like what I could do. I came home during like a Thanksgiving break, like in 2015, ran into somebody who was surprised that I was from Scranton, that we actually went to the same high school at the same time. And she was like, but you're black. Like I know everybody in our graduating class. And so I just thought with that information, no. like, hmm, interesting. You think you know everybody that is Black in our class, let alone, like, community, because, you know, we are smaller. But it was just interesting to me that this, we're not this that white small. girl. No. We're not. Exactly. <laughs> this white girl thought she had enough tabs on the community and thought that she knew, you know, our class and things. And I just thought, like, you know, there's this, like, this persistent stereotype that if you're black, you can't be from Scranton. And I wanted to investigate that as a black Scrantonian, as a native Scrantonian myself. It just, I wanted to know where this comes from. So I started doing some historical work, trying to see how long black folks have been in Scranton started to unfold into we've been here since like the year 1800. It was so inspiring to me. And um, once I finished those 75 pages of my graduate thesis, (laughs) I could not just let, that live in that book like I had to come back to Scranton and let everybody know the work I just spent two years on and that snowballed into doing talks at University of Scranton and Marywood and then I became a substitute teacher so I can when they didn't have any curriculum or you know assignments I'll tell them all about local black history and write me a paragraph on what I just said and then that ultimately turned into an exhibit in 2019 and then that snowballed into becoming a nonprofit, and then that snowballed into getting the building and turning that into a community center. And I don't know what that will then snowball into after this, but um, that's, that's how it all kind of got I here. Um, I have a, a long question. Story made medium length. <laughs> yeah. What? Medium length. Yeah. <laughs> so I get asked this a lot about you and about Black Scranton Project. So how did you come up with the name? And then how did you, did you decide then to keep that? Like, was that the name of your dissertation? And then it just kind of crossed over and you wanted to keep it um, for the work that you're doing. 
That's a great question. So my graduate thesis was called, But You're Black, The Overlooked Community of Scranton, Pennsylvania. So I just felt like, oh, But You're Black that. could not be the nonprofit <laughs> because like, oh, but you're black, right? And it's like, you can't, but it works for the title of the graduate thesis. Right. It makes you, you know, maybe my book will be called something like that. Um, so that was the graduate thesis. And so when I came back here and started thinking about making it a community org, what can I call it that will just, you know, embody what I'm doing and how I want the community to be represented. So I came up with Black Scranton because for me, it's an identity, it's a culture, it's an experience, and it's a people, just in two words. Right. Well, yeah. the Rain Black Scranton Project. And so um, that's kind of how I landed on Black Scranton Project. I knew it would probably ruffle some feathers here and there, mm-hmm. but it's the only thing that I felt like really resonated with me. And um, then I started calling myself a Black Scrantonian and, like, trying to make that a thing. Not everybody identifies with that, but for me, I do. And I kind of am taking pride in the fact that, you know. Yeah, um, I love There's that. Black Scrantonians out here. Thank you. Yeah, and I mean, people here in this area are really proud of their heritage and proud of where they're from and proud of being, like, a native-born Scrantonian. It's a big deal here. So, yeah, somewhere else it might not matter that much, but I think calling yourself a black Grantonian here is makes a difference because there are people here who kind of are left out of the Scrantonian like heritage name thing. But I also think it's just a sense of pride for mm-hmm. for who you are and for your people here. So I, I think that's cool. I mean, yeah, I've heard people who ha- the name has made them, you know, clutch their pearls a little bit and stuff <laughs> like that. But I think sometimes you need something that's going to, catch people's attention, you know, and, and make them wonder what is this? I mean, kind of like, kind of like the comment that the girl from your high school made to you, but you're black. Um, I, I, first of all, I love that you named your thesis that (laughs) I feel like that's so perfect to have such a like bizarre kind of crazy comment. Um, you like named the thesis that, and then I think that, that you're absolutely right. Like what better name could there possibly be? Yeah, definitely. And one thing that I get on a monthly basis is we get people in the community that are like, Oh, well we can't call Scranton white Scranton. And I'm always just like, but that's inherently what it is. We don't even need to say it. We don't really, we don't have to, it's there. Like it's baked into what it is. Um, And then the other part of that, it's like some people feel like, it's exclusionary based on the name, but it's honestly the direct opposite of that. One thing that I love the most about the Black Scranton Project is how inclusive the community is. Like, if you were to come to any of our events, the amount of diversity is honestly always yeah, top tier for the city between age diversity, sexuality, um, just everything. Like, you see people who are super young. Like, Amber always brings your, you always bring your daughter out. So we have really young kids and we have like 90 something year olds that will be all in the same room. Trans yeah. friends that we have pull up. So yeah, I love how much we represent, um, as a whole. It's like we're supporting one group and ethnicity and then, but we're also supporting other. Right. Makes sense. Um, and I just kind of want that to be like a model for what we're doing in the community. Yeah, because and it's always really exclusive when we mm-hmm. when you say black, but not yeah. it's not when you say Irish or that's what Italian. I was about to say. Yeah, <laughs> what if it was like the Jewish Scranton project or the Irish Scranton? Nobody would say anything, and I right. anything like, at all. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So I I don't think that. Yeah, I don't. I don't like in your brain. It doesn't make sense. Like it, it doesn't. It just, 
Well, I don't, I don't clutch my pearls at the name. Right. I right. think like, oh my gosh, what can I learn? Yeah. What do they know? Like, I need to know. Exactly. And I always use the example of like the Irish Society of Scranton. We don't right. think that's exclusionary. No. They're, when they host host events and dinners and community fundraisers, they're not, we're not always like, oh, I'm not Irish. I can't go. No way. Ooh, sad. No, not fair. But when we host events, people are already like, mm-hmm, I don't know if I can come because yeah, it's called, right. It's a black only event. It's like, where did you see that? I I don't quite, I don't see that. So it is that double standard um, all the time. And I'm just trying to like put that in people's faces, like, and use these as examples, because I think what they're doing over there in the Irish society is cool. And I think we should start looking at other cultural groups in the same sort of light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, absolutely. I absolutely. And kind of bridging that. the gap between like, you know, no, just because it's called Black Scranton Project doesn't mean that it's Blacks only in the same way, like <laughs> you were saying about the Irish Community Center and kind of like not only putting a mirror up to that double standard, but also breaking it down and like, no, Mm -hmm. please come to an event and please see the level of diversity in every category you can think of. Cause that's not what we're about. Like, please come. Chelsea, you'd be surprised up here. I mean, everything is like sons of the Italian, whatever, like something there. There's (laughs) so, (laughs) there's so many like little specific, groups and and that's something that i think is really cool about this area is there's a lot of different ethnic groups and and cultures and stuff so you can kind of go to little pockets and be involved in something like that and i think for a lot of black people like we don't have an issue being involved with other cultures events or or different things are going um you know glennis and i uh, have been the only black person at a lot of events and a lot of things Mm -hmm. so there's not there's not that level of, I don't know, maybe fear, I guess, of doing that, but we need to kind of make sure that it's the same way on the other end and, and people feel like, oh, well, I can just come. When I was going out for city council, one of the things that stood out so much was this woman that I was interviewing with brought up the fact that she was Italian like five times in the interview, you know, and I didn't really see what it had to do with anything. But I was frustrated because I was like, I know if I would have brought up being black five times for like, it would have been, it would have just, but yeah, it mm-hmm. would have been a thing. It would have been a mess. I would have been race baiting, you know, um, and all kinds of things, but it's okay for other people to kind of do the same thing. And, that, and that's why I love what you're doing here in this area. And I think it is specific to this area because of the way the culture and different heritage and different, different ethnic groups are here. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think the Latin, like, just to add to your point, it's like, Black folks were already um, automatically assumed that we need to assimilate in every space we go into. There's never any accommodations made for us. Right. No one ever asks if we're okay, if we're comfortable. Do we feel othered? No, no. And so for me, it's like, if you feel uncomfortable, that's something that you need to work on on your own. But I'm not going to craft a space that's going to cater or make any white people feel comfortable. Obviously, the space is inclusive and for everybody, and you will feel comfortable. But this is a space to uplift and amplify Black and brown voices, first and foremost. But everybody else is welcome to participate. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So that's pretty much what I will stand ten toes on <laughs> every day. And it's good for people to be around a whole nother group. And I think it's really good for people to be the only person sometimes because they don't know what that feels like. And that's a special type of feeling that yeah. you don't know until you're in that situation. 
by yourself and you're kind of like, hmm, this nobody's doing anything, but this is how I kind of feel in a situation like that. And I think it gives you empathy and compassion for how a lot of times black people here in this area feel when they're at something all alone. <laughs> Mm-hmm. For sure. So my question then is after you, when you first started and you knew that you wanted to like build Black Scranton up, what kind of was the goal then to create a community center or was the goal smaller and then snowballed into something bigger? Yeah, I didn't really want to nosedive into a large scale project that I'm in now for sure. Um <laughs> I like it's part of what Black Scranton Project is, is seeped in historic preservation. And so I've been collecting a lot of like artifacts and documents and photos or anything that's relevant to the local Black history. And um, I'm starting, I started to acquire a lot of things that are taking up space. And I just felt like we needed like a headquarters space, a storefront, um, something that we can rent out. So that way it's not, cause at the time I was still living out of my mom's house in my like childhood bedroom. So it was becoming, it was overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Um, but nowhere would rent, nowhere would let me rent. No one would let me buy. Um, and it was frustrating because I know that that was one thing that I was seeing. It's like a lot of places were seeing Black Scranton Project as a liability and not an asset and being like, oh, oh I don't know wow. if I can rent to you or, you know, I'm worried about violence or this or that. And I'm not renting. Oh, it'll be too expensive for you to rent. Or I don't know. If we how have how do you even know that? that. Like- <laughs> exactly. It's just, it was just all. Wow. I, I just felt like, okay. And then PNC had been a great supporter of our nonprofit in terms of like giving us grants and funds for different programs and events. So I, I knew that the former PNC bank that, that they were selling, they still, it was under, you know, their management. And so I, I approached them. I'm like, I know you're selling this property and you've already been supportive of our org. How would, would you consider donating it to us so we can turn it into a center and, you know, preserve the historic building and all these things? And they're like, uh, do you have a legal team? I said, I do. And they're like, let our people talk to your people, get us a proposal, and we'll see if this is something that's possible. And then pretty much what I think it might have been like six to nine months later, yeah, April of 2021, um, that was the closing day. We got the property after a lot of work and negotiations and um, just working with PNC. They're they're a really great banking institution, I think. Um, and I love that they decided to invest in a local nonprofit that um, kind of needed a, a hand up not a handout you know and we're like okay let's leverage what they can do this building requires a lot of work but you know so I am grateful for that and I think it really shows like how we can invest in local communities repurpose things start thinking creative ways about sustainability and repurposing our community assets so yeah I'm just excited to see how this transforms it's definitely a labor of love it's definitely expensive um so always collecting donations and looking for grants and all the things but um yeah i love the fact that we we own this property no one can take it away from black scranton and we can do what we want within the boundaries of whatever i want to facilitate and create um and i love that for us because yeah we got so much pushback but i think the one thing i've learned from this is if you are persistent and you really want something you can go after it and if you're determined and consistent enough There's nothing stopping you. And this has been a testament for like, not just myself, but an example for, I feel like the community to be like, if there is anything you want to achieve, you literally can get it. Like I'm, I own a bank now. Right. So like nothing is impossible in my mind. You can literally do anything. You just have to put that work in, be consistent. And um, yeah, you can achieve it. 
So did you really just ask? Actually, it's funny because me and Chelsea were talking about this. What well, we're talking about this today, earlier Literally today. Yeah. yeah, we were talking about um there. She posted a post about the Bible verse, like asking you shall find, seek, and it will be what open to you. Knock and the door should be open. Yeah, to knock you, and the door find. will be open to you. Yeah, seek and you will find. There we go. I totally botched that, guys. My bad. Um, <laughs> but she and I was and I said to her like, yeah, I think that is so true because. People ask me, and I'm sure you get this question a lot, is how do you get the opportunities you have or how do you get in the rooms that you have? And I said, I ask. A lot of times I just ask. And mm-hmm. most people don't ever ask. Um, and you'd be surprised with the amount of yeses that you get from asking. Mm-hmm. So, so in that, like, how would you tell somebody to kind of get the inner strength, I guess, to kind of just say, go for it? Just like, I'm sure people thought you were crazy for just asking. Oh, yeah. Um, but the answer is either were. just going to be yes or no. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just felt like, um, again, I had been scoping out the real estate in the city for years. I knew I loved that property. Um, and this was in 2020 during the Black Lives Matter movement. A lot of people were trying to support Black organizations. So I knew that this was an opportunity. I knew it was going to be difficult. And so I had to make sacrifices to be able to focus on creating a proposal um, but to what you just said, yeah, you have to, the, the worst they could have said is no. And I would have just moved on, but right. they said, you have two weeks to get us a proposal and explain what you want to do. And I was like, all right, <laughs> I will put in 12 to 14 hours of work every single day to get them the best proposal that I can give. And so the first layer of that is yes to ask, but you, it, it's more than the ask. Like you still have to do the work and be consistent so for me with this project I knew this would be a feat I knew this would take not only a lot of persuasion but also to prove to them that we've already done the work in the community to be able to be the shepherd of this property and so after I completed this proposal I decided I dropped out of grad school I was at Rutgers trying to get my PhD so I dropped out I moved back here with the idea that I'm going to be starting a community center and I want this property at that point, I was kind of under some NDAs. Like, I wasn't allowed to talk about what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but I told myself, if you can drive past this building every day, no matter what you're doing, then you can be in this building every day to build this community center. So if you, right. Glennis, mm-hmm. cannot drive past this building every single day, how then can you say you'll be able to be in this building to do the work of all of it that it requires? And so yeah. every single day, no matter what I was doing, I would just drive past the center every single day. If I, I had to go past the center no matter what. And, um, hey, I'm in the building now, so all I can say is that it possibly worked. So, yeah, um, wow. I just yeah. say put in 100%, and I just envisioned it. I knew that this is the building for me. I knew it was going to be a lot of work. It was way more than I could have ever expected. Good Lord, it's way more work. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I just want, and I especially tell young people this, like, if you want something and you can see yourself having it, don't let people tell you you can't. So many people are like, oh, it's impossible, or they they won't sell it. They've had so many offers and they won't give it to anybody. And you're right. PNC was very protective over this building. Yeah. Um, and they turned down so many offers, but then they turned around and then gave it as a donation. Don't get me wrong, right. it wasn't free. I don't want people yeah. to think it was free. It was <laughs> nowhere near that. But um, yeah, like they saw that they wanted this to be in an intentional space, and whoever ended up owning it they wanted to make sure that it was going to be in good hands and good use towards the community. So, yeah. yeah. That's amazing. I'm so glad that they, um, they saw kind of the vision and like when you were talking and you said that people didn't want to rent to you because they were afraid of like violence and stuff. Like, I don't know that just, it, 
it like it's like a gut punch because it's mm-hmm. just so frustrating that the word black and black people to others is synonymous with violence or crime and it's just disgusting honestly um it really is because it 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 doesn't mean that and it's just very very ignorant um for people to label that and that and that's part of kind of what racism still is today you know it's still there's still a lot of discrimination alive and well and it's not necessarily in the form of white hoods it's in the form of you trying to rent somewhere and somebody looking in your face and telling you they can't rent to you because they're afraid of violence when you're yeah literally standing in front of them as like a young adult woman you know like what part of has a strong representation right very safe and very positive events Right. And at that you know, point, still kind of in, in school or just leaving school to finish your PhD. Like, what the, like, what the hell? You know? To bring it back to like the local landscape. And Amber, you know, cause we, we sit in similar rooms and we go to these focus groups and we go to these community building type events and they sit up here in front of us and say, we want young people to invest. Be yep. here in the community. Do all these things. Here, here I am, a young person who has a community positive nonprofit trying to buy and or rent a property to do the things that you guys are just constantly talking about that you want. And then you just withhold it from me because right. I'm a black woman and you're afraid and you don't know. And, da, 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 da. and to me, it was when all of this was going on between like, I don't know, 2019, 2021, um, it made me think about all the work I'd been doing in terms of the black experience. And we think about the laws around loitering and we think of like vagrancy and all these things with black people and how historically black people getting together for anything was just seen as so violent and scary and dangerous. Yeah. And it just keeps perpetuating. And I like to put that back in people's faces. Like, why do you feel scared? What is it about a bunch of black folks yeah, wanting yeah. to be in the same room together for nothing else but to have a good time? But why is that scary for you? Like, truly, right. like, what are you afraid of? And speak it because I want to know. And no one will do it. And Nobody will do it. Right. <laughs> and I think the more that we do that, the more that we can kind of tear down this layer of seeing black folks as violent because we're putting it back in their face. Because right. if you speak it, then then we can prove to you even more. But it's these stereotypes. It's these stigmas. It's this like bias and um, anti-blackness that we still have not yet overcome. That's disguised as fake inclusivity and community building and all that stuff. And I won't really tolerate it. So I just, I want people to say it to my face, say it to my face. And you know, a lot of times people won't. No. And that, and that's true. I I was sitting on my porch with a friend of mine um, and we were just sitting talking and the amount of people that drove past my house, my home where I live, and slowed down to see what we were doing and to like look over at us very mean mean like um was shocking for me and I just was like why is it bothering you so much that two brown people are sitting on a porch like this is what we're supposed to do as a community this is what a lot of people do as a community why are you cautious or afraid because we're just two of us sitting here doing nothing Mm -hmm. like I almost felt like they thought it wasn't my house you Mm -hmm. know like whose porch are you sitting on and it's and that's sad and you kind of end up carrying that weight with you of kind of being like this flows into my next question the the representation for your community so how do you kind of navigate that to where 
you are a black person here in the city who is like in the forefront so when people think about black community leaders and activists they think about you how do you navigate that with then people wanting you to be kind of the token for them for things Hmm, that's a good question so for me i don't mind being um i don't mind speaking up for things that i see around me that other people can't speak on I don't mind being a leader, and I also do not mind being an idol to the babies. I don't. Yes. I a couple <laughs> people need to aspire to do that. Um, and so navigating that does get kind of tricky because there is a fine line between personal autonomy and then also being a voice for the community. And um, so I, to be honest, I still struggle with that, with the boundaries and feeling like, do I need to step in here or can I just, like, let people figure it out? So I guess to answer the question the best that I can is um, I don't mind I don't mind speaking up for people, but I do think um, part of that work is to encourage other people to find their voice by right. showing them that like you know I didn't I didn't I was I didn't fall out the womb being like I want to be the next Angela Davis right. yes. <laughs> you know it's just kind of like you see something and. I I always knew that like whatever it is that you're passionate about, you can use that to create change in the things that need to be um, corrected. So whether it's through your art or again, things that I felt like were achievable from what I was able to grasp through my education, my time in New York city, my time in school. And so, um, yeah, I just, I just encourage people to like find that thing that you're passionate about and that you love to do or your art and your expression and then put the things, and work towards a change that you want and whatever it is. Cause I don't think being an activist needs to be so concrete or so like, right. It can be a fluid thing that you can do while doing other things or sometimes do it alone or, you know, it can, it doesn't have to be your sole identity. It doesn't. And it could be simple. Like it doesn't have to be, you know, like, you know how people are like, yeah, I recycle. Yeah, you do. I voted. Yeah. You can be an activist for whatever it is. If you care about, if you care about um, social justice issues, what can you do in that realm? If you care about animal rights, like maybe you will like walk dogs once a month right. or once a week. Yeah. Or like, you know, maybe you'll do art for that nonprofit because they need a new logo. Like those are things that you can just volunteer your time or your, your talent towards something that can actually create a difference wherever you are. So I just like to have people to think small and you don't, every change that you do doesn't have to be grandiose, but it could sm- snowball or you could just be, you know, you just do it because you love it. And I just think that's pretty much what I did. And it just turned into being um, someone at the forefront. Um, and I just kind of, just kept cruising with it and we're here now so yeah (laughs) that's awesome in kind of the same vein I wanted to talk about kind of dating as a woman a powerful woman um, a woman that some people would say is intimidating how do you navigate the world of trying to I guess not have it all but have a little bit to where you also have a dating life and are dating and kind of how do you navigate that? Because I know for me, it was very hard um, because I think that I felt like a lot of guys were intimidated and couldn't get past that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really great question. I've never been asked a question like this, <laughs> but I think... <laughs> What you just said is so true. Um, And as a queer Black woman who is very much stepping into my sexual identity, 
Um, I've learned that. I've learned that I am a very, um, even though it's not a popular term to say, strong Black woman, soft, right. strong. You know, I, I definitely um, stand up straight and like I put myself out there in everything I do, including when I am dating. And so for me, one thing that um, has been a struggle for me is that I do intimidate a lot of people that I am dating. And that's hard because you never want to dim your light for mm. love. Yeah. And you don't want to change yourself to meet someone else's expectations to make them comfortable. Because off rip for me, if someone is intimidated or my presence, just the way I move, the way I dress, the way I carry myself or talk, if that makes you uncomfortable, that shows me right there that you have some inner work that you need to do. And as much as you claim to love me and I love you back, we just can't, we can't be in a relationship because I want someone that is going to continue to challenge me to do more and be better but also will allow me to be the person that I want to be because I want to do that for the, my partner, for the person that I love. So um, for dating for me now, it's been fun. I've actually been kind of putting myself out there a little bit more and um, trying to be a little less fearless in terms of my own sexuality. And it's been fulfilling. It's, you know, it's hard because sometimes you, you're like, hey, I want to go out. And they're like, I don't want to date you. And you're like, oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's part of the process. You got to like, got to kind of like do it and you never know um so yeah it's definitely been challenging um I've been teaching myself like don't beat yourself up because people find you intimidating like mm. you know that means that you're just you're weeding out who's not right for you much sooner you don't yeah. have to go through that heartbreak you don't have to waste time and you know as someone who's very busy and in the community that's another layer like whoever I'm mm -hmm. dating has to be aware and understanding to the fullest that I don't have as much time. And when I am spending my undivided attention for someone I care about, I'm sacrificing other things. And if you don't have my attention right now, it doesn't mean that I don't care about you. I'm not thinking about you. It just means that I got 10,000 other little things that I got to do. So um, just being truthful with myself and being honest and knowing that sometimes that's going to hurt and feel lonely, but mm. it has been very fulfilling for me right now. And I, um, like I said, I just cut my hair now. So I'm like, I need yes. to Yes. I we're love about it. to hit 30. We're about to be in a new wave. And like, I just want to see a new version of myself now. So you kind of mentioned the way you dress. So do you feel like, um, the fashion question I live for. It. Yes. Do you think <laughs> that people are, like you're trying to date are intimidated by the way you dress? Or I don't even know if intimidated is a word, but like for me, it's the way I present myself through my fashion, um, kind of like in an art way. It, it makes people uncomfortable and I'm not sure why, but I wonder, do you find that too? Um, I used to, especially with um, the type of people and friends that I used to hang around with um, that wouldn't really like to be overly expressive in their wardrobe. And then I had mm -hmm. friends who were, and for me, the people who were express themselves through their wardrobe, it's just a different thing for me. And um, yeah, so I guess I gravitate towards people who express themselves through their style a lot. And um, yeah, I just love people who can do that. Like why, if it makes you feel good, that's for me. Like when I get dressed, that sets the tone for my entire day. Yeah. The color that I'm wearing is like my energy, my attitude, everything. Like if I'm wearing orange, it's because I'm feeling happy or I needed a boost, my favorite color. But I just love color. I love patterns. Um, and I think once you find your style, again, I think it adds a layer to like your self-confidence and um, 
just your individuality and people will see you and kind of know like what you what, what your vibe is or your energy right. yeah so that makes any sort of sense yeah how did, was it hard for you to find your own style um actually no I came from a very stylish family I'm grateful in that way um my older brother he to me is a style icon like everything mm. I do because I'm inspired by him my eyewear collection inspired by my older brother Denzel um my haircut so inspired by him fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> he also is a Scranton icon and yeah so I love that I came from a very stylish family who was always like when you get dressed put your best foot forward it doesn't matter how much you have you can always mm. look good I'm a yes. mini thrifter I thrift yes. 90% of my clothes. Actually, I'd probably say 70% is thrifted, 20% is black owned, and then 10% other. <laughs> so um, I love shopping small. And I think that's the fa- my favorite part about style and fashion and thrifting, because you really could look like champagne on a lemonade budget. Yeah. And I love looking like luxurious and knowing that my whole outfit cost me like $15 that I bought. 10 years ago and people yeah. are like whoa you look like Givenchy you look like Balmain I'm like I know it is but, <laughs> it is, but it's not <laughs> yeah. you have a fabulous group of very stylish friends um I would Charles I was just telling her that her friends can dress and I appreciate <laughs> every time I see them I just appreciate it Oh all the God. time no matter what cool. is going on <laughs> I appreciate it too I mean I haven't seen them but I appreciate a stylish person I also appreciate a stylish group of people and I feel like especially like you were saying Glennis when you get dressed for the day it really sets the tone it really is reflective of your vibe and your mood how unstoppable do you feel when it's like six of you guys on the same (laughs) thing looking like Givenchy even though you might have spent like a, a lemonade budget I love it. I love it for us. Like me and all my girlfriends, we love to thrift together. Um, We'll go on like dinner dates and we'll like in our group chat, like, okay, what's the vibe? So we had dinner the other day and I was like, okay, the vibes are like elevated casual. And that's all I had to say. And we were all like cute, like not over the top, overly dressed, but we all had our own style. We all looked super fun. Or sometimes we'll do themes where we're like, okay, let's give Victorian tea time, floral patterns. And then we all kind of go off of that and then whatever we come up with. And it still works in all of our styles. Like we'll still play on a theme or a color and it's fun. Like it just adds to something else to do. And I, that the last really thing I'll say about, yeah. And the last thing I'll say about that too is a lot of the times when me and my girlfriends, we get together to dress, we don't really do it for the gram or the internet. We do mm-hmm. it because we want to get together and create a mood. And I think, I love that about my core group of friends right now because we like to be in the moment and be together and like spend time and catching up because we all live busy lives. So when we're right. together, we really like to pour into each other and, you know, we'll, we'll catch our little flicks here and there, but, um, now, whenever me and Chelsea are together, I promise you, we never get any pictures. Like, I know. Just, Isn't that weird you know, how that happens with your best girlfriend? Well, she came up here and we like didn't, we were so caught up and just enjoying each other and everything. And I was like, oh. we were so cute too. So it's a <laughs> We sin, were so but, cute. But yes. I mean, just a typical Wednesday. I believe it. <laughs> Even am. Even Amber, when we were in um, Harrisburg, I'm like, we got to get a picture together because if I don't say this now, I'm going to forget. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, Would you wear the the red Astro Boy boots? Oh, my gosh. No. No. 
I'm not Glenis, wearing those. Glennis, thank you. Glennis, I'm also bow-legged, so they're going to bend out in a oh, weird way, and they're going to yeah. be like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I haven't skinny, seen them on like... one person. I haven't seen them on one person yet where I'm like, you know what? That really is flattering. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. No. It's like... One day. Um, what I love about their thing, though, too, is that you can get these pieces that nobody else has. And I, mm-hmm. I love wearing clothes where I don't feel like I'm a carbon copy. Now, this is coming from somebody I do love to shop at just Target, you know. Mm-hmm, same. Whatever. I'm a Target girly. But at the same time, I love to have statement pieces that I just feel like are a little bit weird, a little bit unique, and that everybody else isn't isn't wearing. And I just love to dress up. But with that, do you find that people, and Chelsea, this is kind of for you too. I don't know if you've ever, I've ever asked you this. Do you feel like people think you're conceited or say things along that vein just because you look nice or make the choice to look nice all the time? I've heard that. So I'm opening it up to you ladies. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? And this is, this is probably, I'm not saying this in a, I don't know. I'm not saying this in any other type of way. I mean, I'm being kind of vulnerable. I really genuinely don't notice anybody notice me. I don't see it. And I really don't ever, like, if I like it, I like it. And I don't think twice about it. So I Mm. rock it and I roll around Center City in my vintage and I feel great. So I, Mm. I don't know. I don't think that anybody... I, I don't think anybody would think that I would make them feel or that I would be coming off conceited if I was able to have a conversation with somebody about fashion or what I'm wearing. Because I like, first of all, I love seeing something about somebody else that I love. So that's usually the first thing mm-hmm. that I'll, I'll say. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that makes yeah. people feel kind of safe. But to be honest, if somebody thought I was conceited, I'd be shook and also <laughs> they'd be wrong. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Glenn, it's kind of like you were saying, I really am like, listen, I celebrate you. I celebrate myself. And if me celebrating myself is bothersome to you, that's not about me. Right. Yeah. So I, you know, so I don't, I don't think I don't, I really don't know. I don't think anybody, <laughs> I don't, I don't think so. Glennis. Oh, I've actually had that experience several times. Um, so for me, I've had relatives and friends even and people around me who were like, get intimidated by what I wear or like, oh, I didn't know we were getting dressed up or yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. always consult people when I'm getting ready. Like, of course, you have those times with your girlfriend's like, what's the vibe? What are we wearing? But when I'm getting dressed for the day, I mostly am like getting dressed for me. Sometimes I'll stop myself. I'm like, so for me, my motto is, if you're not doing the most, then what are you doing? But sometimes yeah. I got to ask yes. myself, like, is this doing too much? Is this well, doing too do much? Most, but is it over the top? Because, you know. Is it now a like, get up? <laughs> yeah. Because for me, it's the opposite. People will look at me and really, like, look at my outfit. You know, I wear really eclectic glasses and, like, lots of color and, you know, so people do look at me, and I don't mind all the time, but sometimes I do. Um, it, does, it does make me feel some type of way when people think that, oh, Glennis is bougie or fashionista yeah. Yeah. or doesn't want to get dirty or above it all, because don't get me wrong. I, I don't know why you think that mud. you don't want to get dirty when they – I've heard that same thing, too. Like, oh, I guess you don't want to get your hands dirty. I'm like, what? <laughs> 
Right. Are like, we gardening or are we meeting for an event? Like, what do you mean? Get my hands dirty. Well, and even you, if we are gardening, I'll wear a cute gardening outfit. I'm going to have a cute little <laughs> garden outfit. Don't make me bust out my little apron, guys. The gardening okay. fit. But, exactly. but, so, but that's the thing. I feel like I, one thing I have, I don't think anyone that I know of has received me as conceited because I like a certain look or a certain way, but I have had people try to tear me down and make fun of me for my mm-hmm. style, which mm. never works because they always target the two things that I'm going to take one of your phrases, Glennis, that I send 10 toes on and I like will not be moved on. It's like literally a part of my signature style. So please come at me and do your worst. I'm literally mm-hmm. unbothered. And also, yeah. I'm a little embarrassed for you right. <laughs> um, yeah. that you felt the need as a grown person to attack my hair or my lashes. Well, but, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 like, even after the assault, I still don't feel bad. I'm embarrassed for you. Yeah, I wonder I if it is a thing, that. too, with us being black women, if that has yeah. um, a piece to to kind of do with it. Because I've got it, too. And I'm like, I'm really I don't think I'm better than anybody. I, I'm dressed not because we had to dress up just because I wanted to look presentable um, for something. And, and you never know what's going to happen. My mom always says, yeah. you're going to go to Walmart or target looking insane. And you're going to see your crush from fifth grade looking mm-hmm. amazing. And they're going to want to talk to you. <laughs> and it always happens, right? When you're like, I hope no one sees me. And then everyone's like, Hey, Amber. Hey. Yes. Hey, Chelsea. Oh, I just, and you're like, not today, please. No, no. (laughs) It happens to me every time. Like, I'll be in giant market, like, looking disheveled, like, trying to be incognito, like, trying to pick out some avocados, and someone would be like, hey, Glennis, um, hey, I'm so-and-so, and and did you get my email from last week? (gasps) It's like, it takes me seven to ten business days, so if you sent it last week, then I guess you got a few more days to hear from me. (laughs) Yes. I I love um both of you guys' like whole vibe and whole style thing. It just it really inspires me um when I see pictures of both of you and your outfits are shoes, scarves, bags, all of it. I it gives me so much life. Um and I, I really love how it can be part of your social justice movement and stance involved in your fashion, you know. Um mm-hmm. You really inspire me to try to buy more black. And I love to shop small. Um, and I think we kind of live in an area that has really cute little small local shops here. Okay. We have good thrifting here. I was just telling my mom I love being in Honesdale um, <clears throat> down there because they have a lot of like antique stores and vintage like little jewelry places and stuff like that. And, and mm-hmm. also like small businesses online that yeah. you can find and, and support and thing. And that's one of the things I love about social media. I feel like it really did give small businesses from like, you know, from some little town in California that now I can be all the way out here and I can mm-hmm. buy their stuff, you know? Definitely. And I like to tell people all the time, like when people ask me like, Oh, Glenn is like, every time I see your whole outfit is thrifted or your whole outfit is black owned. And you build your collection over years. Like, you know, I have clothes and pieces that I've been wearing for 10 plus years. So, you know, if you're buying a piece every other month or so, after a handful of years, like, yeah, a good portion of your clothes will be black owned. So you don't have to go and get a black owned haul. Like, right. right, But if you see something, to me, I'm more likely going to spend 
more money on something that's really unique and black owned or woman owned or minority owned over something else that I know everybody else would have because I love to have those pieces number one and number two like yeah you want to have something unique and cool and then but by the time you know it I don't even have to think twice like everything that I'm wearing is black owned and I love that for me I love that because it's it used to be almost impossible to have an entire wardrobe that was black owned and now it's more accessible and to me it's like you can be the example of like it's not unattainable. It just yeah. you know, and you even have to, dressing you have nice isn't unattainable. First. Exactly, it's really not. And I think that's part of what when we see in like social media and all these things, people give you that illusion like, oh, this is like unobtainable or exclusive. When it's not really, you just have to get crafty and like use, like look, use what resources are around you because you never really know. Because I think Northeastern PA has a really good thrift scene. To be it honest. does it does um, it does i love it yes all right so glennis is there anything that you would like to leave with our listeners any throwaways um number one thank you guys again for having me i love your podcast i love talking about politics and fashion so this was immediately up my alley so <laughs> um i love it all so thank you guys there. And um, for anyone who's like trying to know more about Black Scranton, you can follow us at Black Scranton on all social media. We're always, you know, looking for donations and in-kind support of any way. If you want to volunteer, get involved, BlackScranton.org or hit us up on social media. And yeah, that's where you can kind of talk to me saying that. Great. Thank you so much, Glennis, for being here with us on another episode of Politics But Make It Fashion. Come interview with us. You guys can find us on TikTok at Politics But Make It Fashion, on Instagram at Politics But Make It Fashion 1. And guys, I finally got around to making us a Facebook page. You can follow us on Facebook at Politics But Make It Fashion podcast. You guys can also subscribe on Spotify to our podcast and you can support us um, at different prices. We have some supporters that support us for 99 cents a month and we love it and we appreciate all of our fans and our listeners and we will chat soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.